Hi, I'm Stephen Crafty and I'm presenting Talking Design at RMIT University in Melbourne. I'm with architect Tim Jackson, who's a one of three direct, directors of Jackson Clements Burroughs Architects, or JCB as they're regularly referred to. Thanks for coming to the program. Thanks, Stephen. Tim, you've been going since uh, 2000. Yep, that's right. The firm started. What was the reason for starting it initially? Oh, it was just a collaboration between between three people, myself, John, and Graham, and uh, we just we had things in, we had ideas in common, I guess, and we just mm. decided to form a practice around that. Mm-hmm. Um, and any, when you start a practice, is there anything that you felt like you wanted to prove, or an area that you wanted <coughs> to to really develop? I think we just had a had a, a youthful enthusiasm, you might say, at the time where we. Um, yeah, we thought there was an opportunity there to do to, to do work as as a young practice, and that maybe at the time there weren't a lot of young practices out there doing doing things in their own right. And um, yeah, we we were excited about that. Um, you're doing a lot of work at the moment, a lot of uh, multi-res work, multi-residential work, uh, bespoke houses still. Yeah, we're still doing. Um, I mean, we, we've really sort of emerged from doing alterations and additions work into houses, and then that's led on to multi-residential work. But we, we try to maintain um, some projects, certainly, you know, one-off houses and even alterations and additions work still because it's it's an interesting uh, place for us to sort of, uh, I don't know, just explore ideas with materials and, and forms and, and contexts. And then you can use some of those ideas in larger projects. Definitely, yeah, yeah. So some of those ideas re-emerge in bigger projects, and it's just it, sometimes you don't even realise it that that sort of influence of the things that you've done in the past, the way they resurface and and continue to interest you. Um, Tim, a lot's happening in multi-res in Melbourne, in particular. I mean, ten years ago, I think no one would have predicted what's happening now, which is huge amount of um, apartments in Melbourne, and. How's it changing? And, I mean, you know, there was a time they were getting smaller and smaller and smaller mm. and they are becoming like boxes. What are the th- type of things that we're looking at now in multi-res? Well, I think there's still been a trend to making making apartments smaller and smaller in Melbourne, but I think out of that process has come some quite innovative design proposals in terms of the way you can, um, you know, maximise a small space to, to the best of ability through the use of good, good and clever design, and I think that's one of the interesting things that's come out of the process. I mean, people people will argue about the merits of that, but I, I think there's certainly some interesting ideas that have come out of it. What are some of the ideas? I think just the way that you know you, you can you can still get natural light to bedrooms um, through different planning configurations. The way you know furniture and um, Kitchen joinery can be integrated together uh, in, into sort of making a, a compatible whole, and, mm-hmm. and I think some of those ideas have uh, certainly emerged in the marketplace in a, in a positive sense. And also, communal spaces become more important. Yeah, well, that's right. I think one of the interesting things is that as a result of um, perhaps making apartments smaller, there's the developers have, have thought about the idea of introducing other spaces within within a building where people can go and congregate and meet. Um, even sort of reserve a particular area for a dinner party or or, or a social occasion, and um, so those kind of spaces within within a building have become interesting um, interesting ideas. I think within the context of, of of the communities that exist in multi-residential buildings. There was one that you showed me. Uh, yep, 
uh, just then. Which one was that? Is that something um, on the go or already developed? This yeah, it, communal area. It's a building, yeah, it's a new building on the corner of Swanston Street, um, Carlton and Queensbury. And it's, yeah, it's, it's an interesting building, I suppose, in the sense that there is a, a particular part of the building that is a communal space and it's, it, it's clearly evident. Uh, when you look at the, the the built form where that space actually exists, so and it's you know for us it was also just about activating not only I mean we all talk about activating the streetscape of um, uh, these multi residential buildings and certainly that's something council are always interested in, but it's the idea of also potentially having the opportunity to activate the building at a, at a higher level so that's sort of activated in the skyline and uh, in this particular building you can kind of see how. Uh, it, it, where the communal spaces, where the communal space goes, and uh, the forms are kind of separated, and it, and it appears like there's there's an upper, there is an upper box which is sort of floating above um, t- two parts of the building below, and, and within that within that precinct uh, is where this sort of communal space lies. So, um, the other thing that's interesting about this building, and it's probably driven by privacy as much as anything else, is the way that the um, uh, each unit cantilevers over the street in almost like an enclosed steel. Framed yep. um, box. Is that something that you're mindful of? Privacy. Well, it's privacy, but it's, it was also just about um, maximising the, the opportunity of the site to, to find some sort of out, open outdoor space or balconies for the um, internal users. And just by cantilevering out over the street, the interesting thing was that you could just really kind of max, maximise those indoor outdoor rooms within the within the project, and it seemed like a it seemed like too good an opportunity to, to give up on. Tim, who's buying these apartments? I mean, is it students or investors or people moving from the suburbs into the city who want to scale down? I mean, who's buying them? I think the smaller units, um, there's still a large um, percentage of... of um, well, there's Asian investors and there's local investors, and I think there's also people from the country who who, who are investing in units and, you know, coming to the city for a weekend uh, to, to to hang around mm. the CBD, you know, as opposed to the rest of us who maybe go to the country to, to do things. Is it is it getting to a point where where we're coming close to a maximum capacity for apartments, or you think it's still there's a lot of mileage still to go? Well, at the moment. You know, there's certainly talk, well, there is an oversupply of apartments, but then if you see the projections for Melbourne's growth in the next, you know, 20 to 30 years, you'd have to say that um, there's going to be a continuing need for apartment apartment buildings and, and accommodation that, that is connected to existing infrastructure. So I think at the moment um, there's a little bit of uh, the chicken and the egg scenario happening, but in time... Uh, it'll perhaps even itself out. You've done some interesting houses over the years, um, some very interesting houses. A lot of them have been award winners. Um, you've done beach houses. There's a house that I thought was very interesting you did many years ago um, in Richmond, mm-hmm. and it was, uh, I think you had heritage issues with the council who said that you couldn't pull the house down. Mm. Tell me about that, because I thought it was fascinating. Yeah, well, it was an interesting challenge because it was at a time when... Um uh, you know, the good design guide um, was all about sort of, you know, retaining the suburbs as they were and neighbourhood character was this important consideration that architects had to deal with. And it was all very prescriptive in terms of uh, what it required you to do. And I think we saw the Tyson Street House as a way of perhaps challenging that in an ironic way um, by literally replicating 
the, the original. original house as a photographic overlay um, that was superimposed onto the facade um, as a series of glass panels. So and people driving past <coughs> thought they the old house was still still there. there. So it was like a mirage, really, but it, and it was at truly at one is to one scale, um, replicated in the streetscape. So it was it was a it was a kind of an ironic. Uh, gesture or, or a surreal gesture in the context of, of, of what was happening within that streetscape and it was sort of a way of perhaps um, saying you can get contemporary architecture through <laughs> through yeah or, albeit questioning the the validity of of why there were these such 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 prescriptive uh, rules and regulations in place for for, for you know what where, whereby a, an intelligent, well-designed house could have been equally as suitable in that location it's quite sad in a way because if you take that uh, the success of that house had got through. It's a beautiful mm. house interior. The interior is beautiful and the exterior is very clever, even though it's quite cheeky the way it addresses yep. this heritage issue. But don't you find it sad that if everyone took up that approach, we'd really just have photographs of what we had? Yes, absolutely. And, and it was, it was, yeah, it works as a one-off proposition and that, and that's what it is. It's a particular moment in time that's, that's, yeah, reflecting on the state of, the state of where um, the politics of planning was, I think. So, so you wouldn't repeat that again? Oh, I don't think so. No, because it was it was a it was about a situation and a circumstance, and we always talk about our work, perhaps in terms of, of those notions that that, there, that we're, we're responding to a particular moment, a particular particular situation, and a particular circumstance, and it it always influences the design. So it's not like the design is preordained and and, and repeated. It, it's something that comes out of the process. Um. Tim, what do you find, because you still do a lot of bespoke housing, yeah. uh, fortunately you're doing larger renovations and new houses, what do you find the most challenging thing with designing a bespoke house today? Is it people's expectations are higher? Um, yeah. What's the problems? Yeah, I think it's people's expectations or, or people's um, people's uh, preordained ideas of what they think that they need rather than perhaps what they do need. Uh, that's that's always something we try to challenge our clients about. Question exactly. Yeah, question what? about do you really need that much space? Is that is that critical for your for your existence? Because perhaps sometimes people have these unrealistic ideas of, of how much space they do need when in, in fact um, quite often, you know, smaller, well planned, well thought out um, projects can provide, you know, exactly the kind of thing that they're looking for. Um, is it that they feel that they're not going to get the resale? I hate that word, but the resale from a, something smaller. Yeah, I think it's the no notion of resale, or just the perception that that they need space for space space's sake sometimes, and uh, it, it's a kind of a it's a strange it's a strange thing, and, and sometimes it seems that as people. Um, people move through their years into their their, their middle ages. They, they seem to think that they need more space. When they're younger, they perhaps don't need. They don't seem to need as much space. They're happy Just to living with friends in terrace houses. And yet, as the, as they get older, I guess as as families emerge, there seems to be this quest for more and more area. And um, I don't think that's always necessarily critical. Um, Tim, what are the things you ditch if you had a wish list of ditching things that you think are really superfluous to people's enjoyment of life what are the things that you would probably say take off you're probably offending a lot of people by saying this but what are the things you feel are, are oversubscribed to at the moment oh look i think often you know people have a have, have this perception of, of being uh of having really large kitchens which often i, I think are, are over over embellished and, and you know you can often look at a 
at a restaurant that's operating in the city and they'll have as much workspace as, you yeah, know, some... An apartment. Uh, yeah. Apartment kitchen. Uh, uh, yeah, as an apartment kitchen. or, or and, in our, and in our house, it's even, even more so. The amount of space that people sometimes think they need for a kitchen um, often seems ridiculous when you compare it with some of the hole-in-the-wall hole type restaurants that operate in and around the city. It's interesting because people's kitchens have become huge and they've now got the butler's kitchen. Which yeah, is the scullery. The scullery. And... and then you go into these huge kitchens which have got literally nothing in them bar a coffee machine mm. and you think, why? Well, that's right, and you're kind of wondering whether there's somebody that's employed to wash dishes sort of in the, in the scullery that's, that's, that's a, uh, permanently, permanently on board. But, it, yeah, it seems like it's a... It's, it's a it fashion status? or a trend, and uh, yeah. maybe it is status, maybe it's... What are the other things you'd probably knock off if you... Oh, perhaps the number of bathrooms. Bathrooms is another thing that, that there seems to be um, an amazing amount of value placed on, and uh, um, en suites for, for, for children. All, yeah, I mean, all of those sort of things, which I, can't, I guess come with the, the private higher-end um, housing market, that often seem uh, unnecessary in some Do ways. you think there's going to be a change? Or you think people are still going to put that on their list? Oh, look, I, th- I don't necessarily think there will be a change. I think it's just part of the, the agenda of, of the way people sort of live these days and the way they think they need to live. I mean, eventually it might change, but yeah. at the moment it's... it's um, I, don't th- I can't see anything happening in the near future. Is it partly the fault of the media who are, who've, uh, who are being quite dictatorial or presenting houses that have all those things... I think that's definitely, there's definitely, you know, the presentation of houses that are, that are remarkable and in remarkable settings with, with, you know, massive kitchens and spaces, I think feeds the, feeds a bit of a frenzy for what people. So by the time the client comes in to see you, they've got pages open of a magazine and saying, we like this. We like like that. Yeah. Yeah. That often happens. And it's a, it's a difficult area when you get into that because people often become the victim of the last thing that they've seen as well. So. <laughs> what else is interesting that you've done? That uh, you... Well, I guess there's another project that's... Um, oh, yeah, talk about the St Kilda project that's yeah, about that's... to hit the uh, Melbourne skyline. Well, I guess it's an interesting project in the sense that it's on a um, site in St Kilda Junction and it's, it's, it, formally it's sort of arranged as a series of stacked um, boxes, objects, which is partly a response to the site and some overshadowing issues, but it was also just a, a way of thinking about a building that wasn't just a straight extrusion um, of a plan. It was about thinking about an apartment building even as a series of neighbourhoods, and so each each neighbourhood or each box is sort of colour-coded. Uh, and you work with artists? Yeah, we work with uh, Matthew Johnson, um, the artist, who's, who's a great you know, colorist painter, um, and uh, yeah, each each box is represented in, in a series of different colors, and and there's a gradation of colors that that defines each box, and it's really it's partly a reflection of of some of the different precincts and uh, that that exist within St Kilda. So it was it was about trying to take the St Kilda-ness out of the suburb and reflect it in in the built form at at the, at the gateway to St Kilda, which is the junction, and. Uh, the colours and, and the reading of the boxes are, are about some of the different topographies that exist. Give me an example. There. I'm looking at a... What's a clad-in to start it's with? It's clad-in a sort of a, a, a translucent mesh, so it is like a, a rain screen that um, sits around uh, the boxes and there's a series of shutters which, which you can open and close to activate the facade or, or indoor-outdoor rooms. And um, the idea is, is it really within within the sort of the vertical dimension 
uh, you can look at look at it from the ground and and sort of say I live in the I live in the green zone or I live in the I live in the yellow zone and a, a sort of just an idea that maybe even out of that ideas of communities would form within within the building that whereby you know perhaps even a representative of, of each neighborhood becomes the person who, who's re- represented on the um, the body corporate and using that using some of those basic commercial ideas as a, as a way of you know suggesting a way of social sustainability even within within the building itself uh, Tim as an example the blue box what precinct was in your mind or in the firm's mind when you were generating that what well, it was something that Matthew basically bought from a particular part. I think that was sort of, you know, um, just reflecting on on partic- a particular uh, a zone where 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 the colours are sort of re- were intenser in terms of a, of, a, of a particular reading that um, he bought through the building. But it's, it's it's I guess it's not as literal as that. Yeah. It's a very sort of abstract interpretation of it. But it's it's more about just each neighbourhood reading. As, as something that is reflective of, and of a series of, of a photographic essay that he did in and right. in and around the whole St Kilda. Will the interiors also be bespoke for each inverted commas neighbourhood, or will it be fairly s- well, standard? It's interesting because yeah, the developer was keen just to offer offer you know the the sort of the standard the standard uh, conventional offering, but there there is also a sort of an upgrade whereby uh, it becomes more of a, of a reflection of of um, of, of of the external of the external form through through the use of colour within the interior, but obviously yeah. that's not going to particularly suit everybody. Yeah. It must be hard also, Tim, working with developers who you know they're obviously driven by profit, mm-hmm. and that's one of their main criteria. And you know you want to deliver a product that is actually reflects the architecture's the archi- you know the architect's uh, signature. How how difficult it is, you know. Um, coming to an agreement because they often developers will say look cut that out cut that out cut that out and then you look at it and you say well that's not really what the vision was yeah look at that's a constant challenge i think for all architects and it's a that's a matter of how you kind of negotiate your way through some of those um issues that arise during the process of process of design and sometimes it's about uh, making a value judgment at a particular time that uh you sometimes have to uh, temper your own ambition to, to, to deal with what you think a particular developer is going to be able to achieve, and, and uh, perhaps limiting your ambition sometimes. But it, it's it's always, I suppose, it's always it's always about justifying why it is that you've done what you've done, and, and how that can be positive, and how that can be a good thing for for residents that perhaps helps you get get it over the line at the end of the day, and. And, and them actually seeing an inherent value in, in, in the idea of design. And these are called the Icon, correct? Yeah, and the Icon. 119 apartments, and when will we start to see? Well, it's currently um, being marketed at the moment, and, and sales are apparently uh, trickling along um, in, in a positive sense, so I'm told, and uh, I think their ambition is to, to get out of the ground once they get to a certain point. So... Um, probably in another another two to three months, uh, I think they're hoping to get to get going with the project. So, mm-hmm. the other thing that's interesting, Tim, and you don't talk about it, but um, you're also an artist, mm-hmm. I mean, you and a musician, which I find interesting because I think that adds another dimension to what you do. Mm. So, in terms of your artwork, I mean, whether you're practicing now, I mean, you're still very much looking at things through artistic eyes. How does that affect what you do as an architect? I think it's. I think it's just about 
yeah, I mean, I, I went through a period of time playing in a band and being a musician, and 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 um, I guess th- those sorts of experiences uh, come come back, and and you're always reflecting on what's happening uh, in different disciplines at, at different times, what's happening in in a particular music scene or in a p- particular art scene, and comparing comparing that with what's happening in architecture and. Yeah, I, I find that always a, a great source of inspiration to, to reflect on the cross, you know, referencing yeah. of, of different what's happening in different art forms at different times. But it's also interesting you work with artists. I mean, people like Matthew Johnson. Yeah, well, I, th- I think it's <clears throat> the nice thing about working with um, someone like Matthew is just it, it, thinking of, they think about buildings in a completely different way to. Uh, to which an architect would, because in a sense you've been educated to be an architect. You, you probably have a whole lot of, um, you know, preconceived prejudices in a sense about about what a building should be, and it's and just, context and yeah. context. And so, when you sort of talk to someone like Matthew, who's who has none of those sort of pretenses in a, in a sense, it it becomes a much freer and an open thing. And I I find that really enjoyable and quite liberating in terms of you know getting your head out of the discipline of, of, of architecture alone. Yeah. Is there anything else that uh, you think is exciting on the horizon? Well, I think one thing that has been exciting is just seeing St Kilda Promenade, the project that we did um, a couple of years ago, the way it's sort of set, settling itself into the foreshore there and, and working in a, in a really positive way. Um, it was a project that was quite challenging to, to think about from the outset in terms of, of how it would would um, define that sort of St Kilda edge against the water and so yeah I think rather than thinking about something in the future it's just perhaps interesting to reflect on something that's that's been built and, and something you can look at and, and feel you're happy that it's been been a success and, and good to see it being used and, and engaged with by the public. I think it's interesting being an architect you, you're creating things that have longevity and they're going to be there for many, many years. And um, that must also be something that weighs heavily, I imagine, on an architect or a practice. Because you literally, you, you drive <coughs> past a building, and if you're not happy with it, it's something that you're going to... Live with. Live with yeah. for a while. Yeah. You know, look, that's true, I think, and that's why, you, you know, you go through such a rigorous process of um, self-critique whenever you're doing any of these buildings. Um and I think that the challenge always, though, is, is is that I think often architects do lose control of the process, and sometimes people don't get that um, they don't they don't get to see a project through, and that that's perhaps when things become more problematic. That's when things become more disappointing. But it, it's all it's always that challenge of holding on to an idea and being able to work it through through the whole process that um, is difficult. I think, yeah. For you, um, Tim, what's the most pleasurable thing about being an architect? I think it's just the. For me, it's probably the unexpected. It's it's the it's meeting new clients and um, talking to people who've got different ideas about things. People um, who've got a particular sort of thought about the way they want a, a house to be. Um, a bit like the Hampton House, where that's an interesting example. The Hampton House. Yeah, well, that was sort of interesting because the client said, "Oh, they di- they didn't want a series of, or they didn't want um, a, a rectilinear house. They wanted something that was sort of more organic in terms of its its form. They didn't want. They just didn't want a sort of a series of boxes that that sort of seemed to be quite 
seems to be quite dominant at the moment. And um, you know, how could we how could we think about doing a house that um, that wasn't just about a series of rectilinear forms? And so that 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 house really emerged out of out of understanding the client and it was just it's it's always interesting to go through those sort of um, processes where it's challenging you as a as a designer to to think of some another way of of doing something and and often that's positive because it it, it, it forces you to think about something you might not not might not have otherwise tim that's an interesting house it's clad completely in spotted gum yeah recycled spotted gum i think it was yeah or, or certainly um or iron bark yeah it is spotted gum spotted it's it's, gum. it's plantation um and it just presents as a simple timber house house with a pitched roof. Yeah. And the other reason, from memory, you said you wanted to reduce the scale. Well, it was partly it partly came out of also just the constraints that the council has various overlays on in terms of setbacks from neighbours. But it was about it was also about making the house sort of sit comfortably in, in its context in, in its sort of suburban streetscape. Yet. Um, also sort of become a sculptural entity in its own right. So the walls and the roof are, are clad in timber and the whole plan is a series of chamfers um, to the point where the house almost has its own topography. Um, there are really there there are no right angles at all um, in the house. So that was that whole idea of breaking down the sort of the rectilinear box. One of the rules was there'd be no right angles, just be a whole lot of kind of chamfers and... Um, and the other interesting idea was was that the client spoke about was spaces that were were kind of comforting and weren't just open and open and, and endless. Something that um, you know it was almost more cave like in, in terms of having a sense of enclosure, yeah. so that when you went into a living room, you had a, a feeling of enclosure about the way the walls wrapped around you. And um, so that that was just an interesting house because it sort of it was sort of running at counter to counterpoint to what uh, most people. Well, I think there's request, good, well, which, I think there's going to be a bit of a backlash because I think we've had so many open plan spaces, yeah. and a lot of people, from what I hear, are finding those spaces are getting a bit difficult to use. To use, yeah, yeah. And so they're wanting more enclosed, bespoke spaces that are just for them. Yeah, yeah, I think that's right, and and sort of seeking more of an intimacy within within a house and and places that you can retreat to, that still have a you know, and the thing about that house, it still has a strong sense of connection from one one space to the other and it was so it was really about trying to reconcile those those two areas so i think yeah those sort of projects where you have a client who um challenges you to think about what you're doing differently is always um a really enjoyable process mm. and, and and quite invigorating and uh, and then again even further by saying that you know they were they wanted a timber house, and so uh, we, we which is that. quite rare now because yeah. I, sometimes people think of timber as inferior to brick. Well, people have a fear of timber too because they think about it as as a maintenance issue, and, and people say, "Oh, that's going to you know." But I think that you know, with the new technologies and certainly using you know timber as a rain screen, where it's not kind of a tongue and groove, you know, fully integrated system. So for people who don't know, there's actually another layer behind that timber yeah, of steel, yeah, corrugated yeah. steel. So the, so the timber can breathe and, you know, expand and contract in its own right. And because it's a you know, really resilient Australian hardwood, it, it, it will just weather off in a, in, a, in a, hopefully in a beautiful natural way. And the house will patina over a period of time. And, um, and, and, and so sort of that, that, that enhances that whole idea of it being a more organic um, object in, in the landscape or in, or in its particular mm. setting. Um, Tim, look, it's just been an absolute pleasure having you on Talking Design this morning, and um, thanks so much for coming in. Uh, look forward to seeing more of your work 
in Melbourne, and uh, some of it's hidden in the suburbs, and some of it's obviously going to be um, seen by by all by all because yeah. they're in prominent position. So thanks for coming. Thank you, Steve. Yeah. You've been with Stephen Crafty, Talking Design at RMIT University in Melbourne. Thanks so much for listening.